It's millennium, Cam. Millennium. 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 <laughs> millennium. 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 There you go. There you millennium go. Falcon. There you go. Now, now you're not going to mess it up the rest of the episode, right? No, okay. never. Right. Hi, I'm Shelly. And this is Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. For the last couple of episodes, we've been focusing on decision-making and the impact decision-making has on our ability to do the right stuff at the right time, to do what we know we want to do and what we know we ought to do. But decision-making is not the whole picture. As we said at the end of the episode last week, if we could decide to do something and get that far down the process and just get it done, man, we would be set as people with ADHD. But there's more to the equation there. So today we're going to look at prioritization kind of, but instead of talking about how to prioritize, we're going to talk about the value of work, the value of different tasks, and how one can start to look at value as a measure to then prioritize. So Cam, just like I did last week, I'd kind of like to kick us off with a relevant client metaphor, if you're okay with that. Yeah, go for it. So this is something that I saw come up so much as an organizer, although this was a coaching client. This was after my organizing days, where clients with ADHD get really overwhelmed by organizing projects. It's really hard for them to parse out the individual steps. So this particular client came to me as a coaching client. But his first big goal in coaching, the first major accomplishment he wanted to move toward was organizing his home office. And he kept using the word ship shape. You know, I want it to be in ship shape. And I want to feel like when I sit at my desk, when I sit in my chair, I'm sitting in a captain's chair and I can run my business effectively from this space. So the first session we have starting to dig into what that means, because what it means to be organized is a little different for everyone. So what does it mean? What does ship shape mean to you? Turned into that typical overwhelm that I would see so often as an organizer. You know, well, it would start by clearing off my desk. But if I clear off my desk, I've got all these papers that I haven't done anything with. And some of them I need to act on and some of them I need to file. So I need to figure out what I need to do something with and what I need to file. And if I'm going to file papers, then I need to go into the closet and organize the file system, but I can't organize the file system until I organize the rest of the closet. And I can't organize the rest of the closet until I figure out what all the other stuff in this room that doesn't belong here is and what to do with it, which means I can't do anything until I organize my whole house, right? It's this just spiral outward. Oh, I feel that spiral. Boy, I was like right in there with that. Yeah, you're like tensing up. <laughs> I am. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was so nicely played. So so nice. Yeah. So what do I do? I, I take this word of ship shape and I say, okay, client, are you a Star Wars fan by any chance? I mean, who isn't these days, right? Um, although if you're not, no judgment, but you know, most people are at least familiar. And he said, yes, I am. And I said, okay, great. So instead of thinking about ship shape as a ship that is gleaming and shiny and perfect and ready to sail, why don't we think about the Millennium Falcon? Think about the way the Millennium Falcon is described throughout the series of Star Wars movies. It's a bucket of bolt. It's rusty. It's broken down. It's that hunk of junk. But it does its job really well. It flies. It flies fast. It's not pretty, 
but it flies fast. So you see how what I was trying to do was to get in there with his metaphor and talk about how we could let it be easy, how we could start with the high value work that would enable him to use his home office the way he wanted to use it. And all of a sudden, there was some clarity there like, oh, okay, if we're not going for you know, shiny decks and perfect everything. If I just want to get this thing off the ground, here are the priorities. And he was able to name them pretty quickly and cut through all of the other stuff, the low value stuff, like old files that can be gone through at any time to this is what it would mean now to have a captain's share. So I thought that was relevant for sort of starting to frame this episode, right? Because that's what we're talking about today is how do you cut through when you spiral out, when you go too big, or when you go the other direction and go too small into the minutia, how do you come back to the surface and figure out what has value here, what doesn't, not just on an individual task, but even looking at your task list, choosing the things of value. I'm going back to last week and your story about unpacking and recognizing you got kind of caught into that low value action to get that quick completion of scrubbing those shelves and just kind of hyper-focusing on that to get that completion and losing sight of the high value work. So there's this high value, low value distinction or discrepancy that often gets lost with ADHD. And so I appreciate that we're following up around decision-making It has a lot to do, not just with making a decision and prioritizing, but really seeing the value and then holding on to that value. Because as we make our task list, again, the three items, we've already kind of assigned that recognizing the high value, but somehow in the middle of the day, it loses that traction. It loses that value and gets swapped out by the stuff that's more immediate, more crisis, more urgent. I appreciate you looping that in, Cam, because that is a great example of zooming in too much, right? My client was zoomed out way too far. I was zoomed in way too far. And so those are both ways in which this phenomenon where we lose value or don't consider value can happen. But you named another one as you were talking about it, and that's the reactive mode. So reacting to outside stimulus or even internal stimulus, you know, that idea generator of yours, Cam, that just pops when you're in the middle of a task. Part of your challenge prior to doing your own work was immediately reacting to that, not stopping to make a decision. So that is another area in which this phenomenon of stopping to consider value or not stopping to consider value shows up is when we have an external or internal stimulus that grabs our attention and takes the signal away from what we've decided our priorities are for the day. I'm kind of curious about back to your client and this sort of idea of ship shape. And when you just introduced or kind of reframed to this idea of the Millennium Falcon, and it's like, okay, it's a bucket of bolts, but it does the job. What flipped for him, for him to be able to come back to and really isolate and identify the high value items and let go of the low value. But what was it about that shift from ship shape to, okay, we want something reliable, something that's going to get the job done that it's built for. What happened there for him, do you think? He started to distinguish. Mm. He stopped. So the spiral was that 
high energy, high verbal, just naming all of the things that needed to be done. And so this is where my background as an organizer benefited me in this situation because I've seen this before with clients with ADHD and I knew what was happening for him and I knew what I needed to help him do was distinguish. I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it or not, but that was my goal when I asked that question. And that's what he did is he stopped, he took a breath and he went, hmm, because I've now changed the equation. I've taken the same metaphor that was so powerfully resonating with him, just tweaked it enough. And it was like, hmm, what do I need to do? I have another example. This is a quick one where a client came to a session and said, my mind is like a paper shredder. Stuff just goes in and gets shredded. And I'm so jumbled and overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start or what to do with that. And rather than saying, well, how do we get rid of the shredder or how do we throw it out? I said, well, how do we pull a couple of teeth out of that shredder? So it's just about modifying the scenario enough to get my client curious about, hmm, what does it mean to pull out a couple of teeth? What does it mean to be able to fly even if the thing is dirty and a bucket of bolts and otherwise doesn't look so good? Yeah, it's really effective. And you know, it's interesting as you were giving us insight into his spiraling. In a way, it was kind of like a brain dump that wasn't very effective. Back to your three-step processes, it's kind of like unloading everything. It's backing up the truck and just dumping all these thoughts and competing expectations, goals that it's like, I got to have this, 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 and this. And it, again, it often is presented as a picture of perfection, but it's that kind of, we just will go for all, for everything. And again, that kind of very quickly touching on each of these, what you did there last week, we talked about developing that space, that pause between stimulus and response. And that when we ask that question and listeners, when you start to kind of breathe, step back and consider, then you open the space for these important questions. And today we're really talking about before prioritization, it's this valuation piece discerning valuation. I want to read a quote. Is that okay? It is. And I can't wait to hear this quote because I already know what it is. But before you do, I just want to toss in one more thing about my client and his metaphor. And that is the important thing here is he was distinguishing what was important and what mattered to him. I said at the start of the episode that organized looks different for everyone. And there are a number of reasons for that that I could delve into maybe in another episode. But the goal there was not to get him around to my way of thinking about organized. It was to figure out what truly mattered to him that if we could get that far, if we could accomplish those tasks, he would feel like that chair was his captain's chair and that his ship could fly well enough that he could run his business out of that office while we then started to dive into the things that weren't so high priority. Yeah. And going back to your house and being able to, again, it's, it's management, it's prioritizing, it's being able to adjust on the fly. Going back to you set up your office first because that's the priority that you knew that when you had that then you could build off of that. That was the keystone for all the success of everything else that's going to happen in that house. Yep. So you kept your eye on that. That was the high value engagement and completion. Yep, exactly nice. right. 
So we put this question out to our Discord participants, the Discord community, and just this, you know, hey, what, what's your experience around decision-making? And I want to read this from uh, listener and translator, Dina. I just, I want to read this because it's so articulate of the experience. I think that many people will identify with this. So from Dina, my biggest challenge in decision-making is being able to filter on value. So I have a great list, categorized well, good sense of what needs to be done and in what order. But what creeps in is chaos because I spend too long on things. Cost-benefit is foggy. I commit to doing everything because it all feels important as a step along the way, regardless of value. I can't differentiate between the value of unblocking a dependency versus the value of clearing the backlog versus the value of the revenue potential of an action. It feels like the most important differentiator, prioritizing element, is not available to me. It's all valuable in its own way, leading straight to overwhelm, paralysis, circling. So I read that because she's pointing out something that is, I think, so elemental in our ADD experience and above the lunch counter at causation. So there's the spiraling. There's the zooming in and zooming out. We've talked about kind of exponential thinking and kind of like that going the high global or getting down into the weeds. What she's talking about is this scale, this scale of measuring, of weighing, considering, reflecting on the value of something. That is not readily available to us. That is up at causation, which has all kinds of manifestation below the lunch counter. So it's not that we don't have the scale. It just takes a little time to assemble the scale. It takes me back to chemistry freshman year at University of Maryland. And the scales they gave us were like from the 60s. And they were accurate, but you had to assemble them every single time. It just some assembly required. So it's not that we don't have that ability to create value, to weigh and consider and look at two things and see what is the high value and what is the lesser value, like your client. But it just takes a little bit of time to do that. It's that pause. This is why we talk about planning your day, not to put it in the margins, but to bring it in and make it a part of your day when you do have your bandwidth. So you can really look at this stuff and consider and ask that question, what's the high value for me? Back to that Pareto principle, what's the 20% that's going to get me 80% of the value? Cam, what I noticed in that quote, both when I first read it and now is how she named the different things she's trying to put value to. And I think that that is so useful too. So I'm going to repeat them. Number one is the backlog. I don't know how to value the backlog versus unlocking a dependency versus high value activities that might lead me forward, lead me to profit. This is exactly where my client with the ship shape Millennium Falcon metaphor was. This is where most of my entrepreneur clients are. How do I manage my backlog? How do I unlock dependencies? How do I move forward? And as an organizer and a coach, that's what I'm helping them figure out. When we talked about what does it mean for the ship to just fly? What were we doing? Well, we were identifying what was important, 
what were the dependencies that would allow him to be able to work in this office, which was the step that he saw as necessary to getting to that higher value work? And what is the backlog that is okay to just sit because it's low value? And not all backlog is low value, right? We get high value backlog cooking all the time as ADHD people. But what is the low value backlog? Old files, items that simply don't belong in this room that rather than making that part of the organizing project can just be removed and put somewhere else in service of making this office functional. And that is so hard for us to distinguish, especially that backlog word, because we tend to do this magical thinking where when the backlog is cleared up, that's when I'll start to make forward progress. Well, I've been a business owner now for a pretty long time eight years or so. Cam, you got a few years on me there too. And so tell me if you agree. The backlog never ends. Never. Never. It's always going to be there. Do you agree with that? I do. I do. And I think that back to these rules we can make, and I think again, it's back up above the lunch counter of our glitchy sequencer. We will sort of sequence here in the sense of, okay, before I'm going to get to the real meaty stuff, the stuff that really matters, I'm going to clear out the backlog. And again, it's, it's recognizing overwhelm and how overwhelm presents. It's the stuff around you. People are trying to kind of clear up their physical space. This is about clearing up the mental space. And that backlog is kind of gnawing at you. It's a woulda, shoulda, coulda that kind of just engages that emotional center of the brain around guilt, shame, frustration. And it's like, I've got to like, conquer these old monsters before I can proceed. You're right. We're generating work all the time. Work is coming in. We're generating ourselves. There's always going to be more than we can do. There's going to be backlog. And so saving part of your day for that deep dive work that really matters, that is that high value stuff. And I'll say that what I've done is I've realized When I work in tandem with folks around the high value stuff, it tends to happen more consistently. That's about enrolling and collaborating and articulating, in a way translating, that vision. Do we have a shared vision here? Which, by the way, is a future episode. We're going to do delegating. We're also going to be talking about effective collaboration because we are not in our own little silos even though it can feel like it at times. There are people around you who want to support you, be they neurodiverse or neurotypical. There are those around you who want to see you succeed and see that Millennium Falcon fly. Yeah, so Cam, I kind of want to shift here in our last few minutes and talk about what are the key takeaways for today. And I know you'll probably have some to add, but here are the ones that I see. Number one, when it comes to starting to consider value and starting to learn how to make those key distinctions as a person with ADHD, which does not come naturally, reconsider what complete means. By considering where are you really going, what is the purpose of this work? With my client, with his home office, when we got down to brass tacks, the purpose of that work was for him to be able to run his business from the home office rather than the kitchen table. So that was a very different conversation than the one we started with of just get it organized. Once he knew 
why he was getting it organized and what mattered. And he started to distinguish we could get there. Number two is to consider where the backlog or dependencies are hanging you up. And if you're telling yourself a story of until I take care of those things, I can't start on a new thing. I can't move forward. This is where Cam and I have said before, and I will say again, that success and struggle can happen at the same time. And that is the work that we do with our clients is helping them learn how to be successful while struggling. So you can tackle that new thing if that new thing has value and if that new thing has a place in your task list right now, if you've done your decision-making work and this is a project or an idea for now. Because you can both move forward and work on what you've left behind at the same time. And a lot of times the moving forward has higher value and the backlog can be dealt with later. So those are my two, Cam. What do you have to add to that for our listeners as they start to consider, how do I value the things on my list? How do I place importance or not importance on what I'm looking at? Something I like is, I think we've mentioned it before, doing a cost-benefit analysis on any kind of work or behavior. And I think that we will often look at the cost, but we won't necessarily see the benefit. I'm just, I'm thinking about a client where he would really get locked up on the front side of action in that procrastination with the dread, the anxiety, the pressing overwhelm, and everything's presenting equally. He's got seven things to do, and he can't choose which one to do because as he goes toward one, the others kind of start screaming at him. And so it would lock him up. It would lock him up for days. And as we talked about it, it was sort of starting to recognize, wait a sec, just the cost benefit of that period to go from manifestation, that's that dread and anxiety, up to above the lunch counter with what's going on, bringing in this, you know, the challenges around distinguishing, separating, and really weighing and choosing and going forward. He developed this little persona. So he called him the economist. It's like, you know, the economist is saying, that's not good use of my time. That's a tremendous amount of time, energy, and attention. There's our T acronym. Time, energy, and attention going into spinning my wheels. So there's the cost of all that time. The benefit, in part, is he doesn't have to take risk. He's not going to fail because he's not trying. And so every situation is going to have a cost benefit and to weigh both of those, to consider them, just to get back to, I think the big learning here today is getting perspective, stepping back from the situation and kind of realizing, okay, it's not about ship shape. It's about really getting this Sitting in the captain's chair in the garage is not going to do anything, right? What's the captain's chair for? It's for flying the ship. So how can we get that ship going? How can we engage and move forward? So much here and so, so fascinating. Yeah, more, more here, a lot more here. Absolutely. And so the one thing I noticed in your client's story, and I think is important to call out because it's certainly present in the examples I gave as well, is noticing when you're in the limbic system. You know, so often when we spiral, when we go too big or too small, it's because we are in the emotional brain. And so that exercise of changing my client's metaphor just a little bit got him out of fight, flight, or freeze and got him into curiosity because it made him stop and go, huh, 
how would I do that? So I noticed that really in your client's example, Cam, right? The fear, you know, I can't fail if I don't take action. So there was a freezing going on there and a fear going on there that didn't allow him to see the positive outcomes, the things that would happen, the good that would come from these actions if he would take them because he was stuck in fear. So that's something to notice too, is are you stuck in the down in the valleys in the emotional brain, in the limbic system? And if so, can you shift to curiosity? Can you start to examine the value of what it is before you, valuing what matters and what doesn't with curiosity? Right. And so comorbids or having other conditions is very common with ADHD, anxiety, depression. And so if you are there and you can't move that by yourself, again, finding help. There's help out there. Finding someone who can help you address the challenge that you're facing. There are folks that are out there that can do that and can help you who are well-qualified. I have one more thing to add before we finish up. Is that okay, Shelly? Sure. So when this podcast drops, this episode will be the first Monday in November. And the first weekend in November is something called the International Conference on ADHD. It's the 2020 Virtual International Conference on ADHD. This is the annual conference that I presented at the last, this is my third year. And I just want to say that I'm presenting again with Tamara Rosier on a topic of cultivating emotional health. It's virtual, meaning price points are lower and you don't have to fly to get there. So no travel and you have access here. So if you like what we're doing here on the podcast, you can help us out by leaving a rating or review wherever you listen. You can also support the show by becoming a patron. Visit translatingadhd.com. Click on the Patreon link in the upper right-hand corner. And for five bucks a month, you can support the show and join our Discord community where we talk about episodes with listeners and our listeners interact with one another to provide accountability and do their own translating work. So until next week, this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening. Thank you.